Warning, this episode contains themes of murder, violence and detail to injury, so please be aware before listening any further. We got this letter dated March the 2nd from Martin Ferris and it says, Dear Mrs McCabe, the killing of your husband was totally wrong and an appalling tragedy for you and your family. I would like to state for the record that I have absolutely no knowledge of any of the events surrounding your husband's death. Clearly from this letter, we're not going to get any help or any information from Martin Ferris, even though he knew these people intimately. So I think we'll go to the very top man, the man who knows so much about every one of them, Jerry Adams, president of Sinn Féin IRA. This was a no, criminal no, act no, in a dare. Well, 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 criminal well, act. Well, it was well, there for the, the, the self-aggrandizement of those. They wanted to get money for their own purposes, not for the IRA. Well, well, in fairness to them... It was them, a criminal act. For, no, well, in fairness to them, what, what they did was carry out this act having been authorised by someone within the IRA to so do it, they would have not, they would have not benefited themselves from whatever had occurred. Good afternoon. Last night, we lost a member of Angarda Siakana in the most tragic of circumstances. And today, a nation is grieving. I've spoken to the Garda Commissioner earlier today and the Minister for Justice, and we're in touch with the family of Detective Colin Horkin to offer our condolences and support. I extend that also to all of his colleagues in Castle Garda Station, to every member of Garda Siakana, his friends, and all who knew him. Colm gave his life protecting the community he had served with distinction and courage during his 24 years as a member of Garda Siakana. His story is the same of the, as the thousands of men and women who wear the uniform, a story of courage, sacrifice, and service. Our guardi are our guardians of the peace and defenders of the rule of law, and they are role models in our society. This tragedy is a heart-wrenching reminder of how much we owe our guardi for the work that they do all over the country. They protect and serve our citizens, our communities, and our country, every day putting themselves in the front line of crime prevention on behalf of all of us. Thor Swinta Lo Shud Galer, a Tofi Brononu, Devar, Nahaktraka, Tragodisha, Hermin Lagan. Welcome to Incriminated.
Jeremiah D. McCabe was born on the 22nd of November 1943 from Ballylongford, County Kerry, Ireland. He had a very rural upbringing and was very close with his siblings and family. Jerry's dad was a talented mechanic and he too followed along with this tradition in his younger years. Michael, Jerry's brother, idolised him and called him his protector. Jerry enrolled with the Angarda Síochána or the Irish Police in 1964. In the early 1970s, Jerry met the love of his life, Anne, in Cruz's hotel in Limerick City. Two years later, they married and started a family. They built a very happy life together and the couple were inseparable. Later, in 1973, Jerry was promoted to Detective Garda, working in Limerick in O'Curry Street and William Street. He was described as a firm but very fair guard that upheld the law to the highest degree. His neighbours and friends also had much respect for him, as Jerry was the type of person who would drop anything to do something for you. In the later years of his career, Jerry was appointed to the Special Detectives Branch in Nimerick, working on more serious crimes. In the year 1996, Jerry was then planning on retiring from the Gardaí to enjoy more time with his family. During his time with the special branch, he partnered up with Ben O'Sullivan and they became best friends. The major crimes they would end up investigating in would be crimes involving the IRA. Jerry's wife was understandably always worried about her husband's welfare during these times, but as he was planning to retire, that eased her mind a little bit. For those not familiar with the IRA and its history, here is a quick synopsis. The IRA was first originated in 1919 to put an end to the British rule in Northern Ireland using armed forces. The Irish Republican Army or IRA fought for independence and to restore a political unity republic, often in conjunction with but independent of the Irish Nationalist Party Sinn Féin. Back in the year, in 1969, the IRA were demanding British withdrawal from Northern Ireland, but some IRA members had a difference on opinion on which strategies to go by, so the IRA split into two different factions, officials and provisionals. Officials sought out independence through peaceful means, while the provisionals used violence and terror to further its efforts, which resulted in approximately 1,800 deaths, which also included around 600 civilians. As the provisional IRA and other paramilitary groups waged an increasingly violent campaign, the British Army fought back. The period known as the Troubles assaulted the region and beyond for almost 30 years. Here is a timeline of the most memorable events. December the 28th, 1969. Aiming to protect the Catholic minority from discrimination from loyalist militants and the Protestant majority police force, the Provisional Army Council officially separates from the IRA. The Provisional IRA soon becomes known as simply the IRA, while the other faction are known as the original IRA. Further on, in January the 30th, 1972, infamously known as Bloody Sunday, 13 unarmed Catholic civil rights demonstrators are killed, with 15 badly injured, by British paratroopers during a civil rights march in Derry in Northern Ireland. 
The British Army falsely called the victims gunmen and bombers. A report concluded in 2010 that none of the dead were threats. The shooting led hundreds to join the IRA. On July the 7th, the same year, unsuccessful secret peace talks take place between the IRA and British government in Chelsea's Chain Walk, the first meeting of the two groups since 1921. Also, on July the 21st, over 20 IRA bombs explode in Belfast, leaving nine dead and 130 injured on what will come to be called the Bloody Friday. The British fought back 10 days later with Operation Motorman deploying tanks to enter no-go areas controlled by the IRA in Derry and West Belfast. Two years later, on November the 21st, 1974, the IRA targeted two pubs in Birmingham, in England, that was known to be popular among off-duty authorities. The IRA sets off bombs that kill 21 people and injure 182. This marks the deadliest year of the ongoing troubles with nearly 500 casualties, more than half of them being civilians. Just before Christmas in 1974, the IRA announces a Christmas season ceasefire until January 2nd, 1975, following secret talks with the British. The ceasefire is then extended on February 8th, but the truce ends just a month later when the IRA says, We achieve more in wartime than in peacetime. A few years later, on August 27th, 1979, an IRA bomb kills four people, including a cousin of Queen Elizabeth II, Lord Mountbatten. And of course, famously, on March 1st, 1981, Bobby Sands, an Irish Catholic IRA member, starts what will become a 66-day hunger strike. During the strike, he is elected to a vacant seat in British Parliament, but dies on May 5th. Riots begin in Belfast and 100,000 people attend his funeral. Six more IRA members and three Irish National Liberation Army members also fast to death before the hunger strike ends in October. And the British Prime Minister at the time, Margaret Thatcher, agrees to some of the demands of these protesters, which include the right to visits, to receive mail and wear clothes. On November the 15th, 1985, with hopes of diminishing Sinn Féin support, Thatcher and Irish Taoiseach at the time, Garrett Fitzgerald, signed the Anglo-Irish Agreement. This is an official agreement stating that both governments would consult on Northern Ireland, allowing for the possibility of a united nation. A couple of years later, on May 8, 1987, eight IRA members of the Tyrone Brigade are killed during a special air services ambush of the IRA bombing of the Lockall police station. A former IRA member later said that the shootings led the floodgates to open in terms of new IRA recruits. On November 8, the same year, an IRA bombing intended to hit police security before a Remembrance Sunday War memorial service in Enniskillen kills 11 people, all civilians and injures 63 people, occurring near the second anniversary of the Anglo-Irish Agreement. It is thought of as a public relations disaster for the IRA. Later on, in 1997, Sinn Féin leader Gerry Adams apologises for the bombing, quote, I hope there will be no more Enniskillens and I am deeply sorry about what happened in Enniskillen, he tells the BBC. 
On March the 6th, 1988, three unarmed IRA members are shot and killed by Special Air Services forces in Gibraltar. At the funeral service days later, two British soldiers accidentally drive into the procession and are dragged from their vehicle, beaten and shot dead. The scene was recorded by TV cameras. Also later, in March 1993, two boys aged 3 and 12 are killed and another 50-some people were injured during an IRA bombing at a shopping area in Warrington in England, where bombs were placed in trash cans. The attack drew global outrage and calls for peace. Also at the end of August in 1994, after months of secret talks and 25 years of bombings and shootings, the IRA announces a historic ceasefire with the complete cessation of military operations. On February the 9th, 1996, the IRA ends the ceasefire when it bombs the Docklands area of London, killing two and injuring more than 100 people and causing an estimated worth of damage of £150 million. So therefore, there was a lot of tension between England and Ireland in the year 1996. Meanwhile, back in Nimerick, when a former leader of the Progressive Democrats, Des O'Malley, attended an international conference at a Dare Manor Hotel in Nimerick, he was surprised to meet special branch detectives Jerry McCabe and Ben O'Sullivan. McCabe and O'Sullivan had often provided protection to Mr O'Malley and his family. Detective McCabe reportedly told him that there were on duty at the conference as there were a lot of dangerous men living in the area at the time. Little did the detectives know what would tragically happen to them on June the 7th, 1996. Both detectives were clocked in at Henry Street Garda Station headquarters at 6am that morning. They were tasked with bringing an armed escort to the on-post or post office lorry, which was delivering £81,000 pension money to post offices in Adair, West Limerick. This seemed like an easy enough job to do in a small village, drive in and out, no problems. They arrived and parked outside the post office in Adair at approximately 6.50am. Detective O'Sullivan stopped the Ford Mondeo they were driving in, right behind the postal lorry. He then suddenly noticed a Mitsubishi Pajero 4x4 Jeep speeding up behind them. Two men wearing balaclavas jumped out from the Pajero. One of the perpetrators carrying an AK-47 ran by the detective's car and without warning fired off a fury of bullets. Neither of the detectives had time to react and draw their weapons, a 38 Smith & Wesson revolver and an Uzi submachine gun. It was a totally unexpected attack. Detective Sullivan later described it as a deliberate controlled shooting. Two of these bullets fatally hit Detective McCabe, one severing his spinal cord. Detective O'Sullivan was hit by 11 of these bullets and survived the brutal attack. Doctors said afterwards that his strong upper body from his hobby of rowing saved him. Members of the same group of attackers who had gone into the back of the post office sorry, were surprised to see that all of the postal delivery consignments had been locked up in separate metal baskets for each delivery. They immediately absconded the attempted robbery and raced off in a Mitsubishi Lancer. These types of robberies were often perpetrated by IRA members to fund their cause. 
The two armed detectives were shot shortly before seven o'clock this morning as they sat in an unmarked Garda car which was escorting a post office lorry making a delivery of social welfare and pension money to Adair post office. Their car was first rammed in the rear by a Mitsubishi Pajero Jeep before three raiders got out and started firing at the Garthi. They used what Garthi described as rapid-fire rifles. They made their getaway in a grey Mitsubishi Lancer car, which was found abandoned this afternoon in a wooded area near Chalk's Cross between Kilmallock and Brough. Garthi say the two cars used by the raiders contained what they believe are incendiary devices. No money was taken from the unpost lorry, which it's believed was carrying up to £100,000. Three guys in uh, fatigues, army fatigues, and Balaclavas jumped out of the jeep and uh, attacked the patrol car and uh, started shooting. Um, I jumped off the tail of the truck and uh, moved on to the footpath. Uh, I had my hands in the air because I thought that um, they were in such a state that uh, they would have shot anybody that passed. The dead detective Gartha, 52-year-old Jerry McCabe, originally from Kerry, was married with a family of five. His son is also a member of the force stationed in Monaghan. His colleague Ben O'Sullivan, also 52, is a gold Scott medal winner awarded for his bravery during a raid in Limerick a number of years ago. He was shot in the shoulder and received superficial injuries to his face. He's been visited by senior Garthi in hospital and his injuries are described as not life-threatening. The assistant state pathologist, Dr. Margaret Bolster, examined the scene shortly after lunch before the body of Detective Gartha McCabe was removed to Limerick's Regional Hospital for post-mortem. A detailed forensic and ballistics examination has been going on at the scene all day. At a press conference in Limerick City a short time ago, Garthi say they have a report of suspicious activity near the Woodlands Hotel, about a mile outside Adair, shortly before the shooting this morning. More information like this from the public, they say, is vital in their investigation and their efforts to catch the culprits. This has been a brutal killing uh, of a member of the guards, and I think it's important that we appeal to people for as much assistance as we can get. I think that's the initial appeal that we make, because it's very important to catch those people and to make sure that they're brought to justice. As the attackers escaped from the scene of the crime in their stolen Mitsubishi Lancer, the car was damaged and they abandoned it near Balangari. Other vehicles were then hijacked as the gang made their way by secondary roads to a safe house near Tumivara, County Tipperary. Gardaí quickly came minutes after the attack and the investigation revealed that two bombs were planted in the Pajero Jeep and Mitsubishi Lancer, but they failed to detonate and the Gardaí Technical Bureau was able to gain information from the public as the chase for the gang went nationwide. It was later revealed to be an IRA active service gang which is led by Kevin Walsh from Patrickswell, the man who shot the two detectives. He was accompanied by Michael O'Neill, also from Patrickswell, Jeremiah Sheehy from Rathkeel, Pierce McCauley from Straban and Paul Damery from Cork and Jerry Roach who lived in Shannon. Kevin Walsh is heavily associated with the IRA and had been related to many other IRA robberies in the Limerick area. One of these being in the Crescent Shopping Centre in Doyle, where the gang ran through the crowded shopping centre waving around their AK-47s which they fired as they sped away from the car park. Meanwhile, many hours after the murder and attack of McCabe and O'Sullivan, the gang split up and left the house in Tumivara. 
Damery and Roach made their way out of the country. Damery got to South Africa and Roach went to ground in Holland. Both are still wanted for the Adair attack. Sheehy, O'Neill and Macaulay were arrested within days. Macaulay had previously escaped from Brixton Prison in 1991 with Limerick Man Ness and Quinlivan while awaiting prosecution over an IRA campaign in the UK. Leaving his other members in the lurch, gang leader Kevin Walsh got access to an isolated safe house in County Cavan. Gardy said while on the run he was visited by senior Sinn Féin figures from the north. After months in hiding, he was arrested by members of the Garda Emergency Response Unit, which raided the house. As Gardy tore into his bedroom, Walsh tried to grab an AK-47 near his bed. He was heavily disguised and Gardy found forged passports, fake driving licences and other documents suggesting he was planning to leave the country. In a statement on Friday, the IRA denied that any of its members were involved in the Adair killing. But that assertion is being questioned more and more as the finger of blame points to the monster unit of the organisation. Over 60 people were arrested, over 4,000 statements taken before five men were charged and brought before the courts. The investigation itself into Jerry's murder and Ben's shooting was, I suppose, one of the most extensive investigations I've ever been involved in in my 40-year service. There was a meeting the night before with a high-ranking member of the IRA involved nationally. The gang ran the, the particular operation um, to him. He okayed it. The gang had planned to ram the guard vehicle. Did they plan to shoot so many shots into the car? It's hard to assess, but there's no doubt about it that the individuals that fired the shots into the car knew what they were doing because of the placement of the bullets um, in particular areas of the windscreen. That gang were so active for so long, there was a pre-prepared plan in action in the event they're carrying out a robbery, that we would go to their houses immediately, establish if they were at home. Each of their houses were visited, and it was established that they weren't at home. So straight away the investigation focused on the gang because they were missing. This was a turning point for the area in that people were fed up, and they started imparting information that they never did before. And as a consequence of what that gang did, they broke down a lot of IRA units across the country because Gardaí got information. And there was a massive number of arrests throughout the country at the time. There was a huge amount of arms found that we never had information on before. In the subsequent hours after the murder and attack in Adair, Sinn Féin leader at the time, Jerry Adams, first of all denied IRA involvement. He later said the operation was not authorised by Army Council, but authorised at a lower level by an authorised person. Walsh, Sheehy, O'Neill and Macaulay were later charged with the murder of Detective McCabe and the attempted murder of Detective O'Sullivan. However, the state case at the non-jury special criminal court hit major problems when witnesses refused to give evidence due to what the Minister for Justice, Michael McDowell, described as provisional movement intimidation. The Irish state accepted pleas of guilty to the manslaughter of Detective McCabe. 
In sentences backdated to February 1999, Kevin Walsh and Pierce McCauley were each jailed for 14 years. Jeremiah Sheehy got 12 years and O'Neill was jailed for 11 years. During their time in Castlereagh Prison, the four IRA men were given special privileges, living in a safe house attached to the prison, complete with fitted kitchens, a dining room, a living room and a gym. They were also given their own key and were allowed to get their own takeaway food. Mrs McCabe fought against this on behalf of her husband and her family. Walsh and Macaulay were released on August 5th, 2009. O'Neill was released on May 15th, 2007 and Sheehy was released on February 4th, 2008. After the trial, Anne McCabe fought an intense campaign to prevent the killers getting early release as part of the Northern Ireland peace process. She never thought that the justice for her husband's murder would be marred by politics. She had several confrontations with the Taoiseach at the time, Bertie O'Hearn, demanding him to say that there would be no early release. She also confronted Sinn Féin leader Gerry Adams. Jerry, like so many of you here today, was a policeman in New York. You saw how valiantly and well the police and the firefighters coped in a time of horror and terror. I am proud that Jerry's name on this fellowship is a symbol which unites brave men and women across the Atlantic who see serving their community and guarding their peace as a worthwhile life and career. Well, my husband Jerry died for Ireland. It was not his choice. It was not mine. But Jerry died to protect our peaceful society. And this peace must be defended by all right thinking people. Thanks for all your support. Uh, I always go back from the States uplifted by the fact that people here keep faith with what's happening back home. Our people have a right to be free, and our people will be free. I have no doubt about that. So I want to thank you for that and wish you all a very happy and a very holy and a very sober St. Patrick's Day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, um, Gary and Pierce do have time for a few questions here. So um, if anybody has a question, and again, we want a question, not a statement. So raise your hand, I'll yes, do my best to get around. Sorry. And, sorry, yeah. and then again, you can direct it to Pierce too, you can direct it to Jerry. No, this is for Mr. Evans, sorry. Um, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Anne McCabe, and I come from Limerick, and as you know, uh, my husband was murdered 10 years ago in Adair by the provisional movement. So um, as president here, Mr. Adams, could I ask you, uh, some time ago when you were on the Late Late Show, you said uh, that my husband's murder was not authorized by the Army Council, but at a lower level. Can you tell me who the lower level was? Well, first of all, Ms. McCabe, you're very welcome here. Uh, people who have suffered and struggle, and I too have lost family members. That's not what well, I'm just asking you. I want to make my point. You've made your point with respect. I too have lost family members, so I know how difficult it is. And I have outlined very clearly my revulsion at the killing of your husband. I think it was wrong. 
there are men serving. Can you not condemn? No, no. I'm quite prepared to condemn. I condemn what I think is wrong. Uh, that won't bring your husband back. The people who killed your husband should be released. I know that's hard for you. Under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement. They don't and have anything not to do with the Good Friday Agreement, Mr. Finish, Adams. Let me finish. That's what yeah. the Irish government signed up to do. In the same way as I saw people who killed my friends and my neighbours and my family members released under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement. Thank you. Thank you. I asked a question. Sorry, I didn't get an answer. I just asked you a question. Sorry, I'm leaving. I didn't ever envisage myself being in the same room as the president of Ayur Sinn Féin. I didn't expect an answer, and I didn't get an answer. But I did feel much, much better in myself after 10 years trying to get them to condemn. Still didn't get a condemnation, but I felt a weight was lifted. The Taoiseach at the time, Bertie O'Hearn, told the Doyle in December 2004 that they would be released early as part of the Northern Peace Process. Mrs McCabe only found out about this terrible news on the Irish National Radio. She was handed a letter from then-Justice Minister Michael McDowell, which told her, I want to reiterate my assurance to you that if it had ever been necessary to deal with the issue of releasing prisoners or if it ever becomes necessary to do so in the future, it would not and will not happen without you or Ben O'Sullivan knowing in advance. After O'Hearn's dull statement, Mrs McCabe said she wondered who was really leading the country, the government or Sinn Féin IRA. The McCabe family felt they were sold out as part of the peace process. To this day, Mrs McCabe is now a voice and support for other widows of the Garda Corner. She has since become president of the Garda Survivors Support Association and has created a support organisation for Garda families. Fast forward to June 17, 2020. Known to be a pillar to his community, a gentleman and a great GAA player, Detective Garda Colm Horkin on this day left for work waving his father goodbye early in the afternoon. During his work shift, Detective Garda Horkin was on patrol in Castlereagh, County Roscommon, Ireland. There was no trouble in the town until coming up to midnight when locals rang the Gardaí to report suspicious activity of a man driving on a motorcycle frantically around a housing estate, disturbing people living in that area. Cullum responded to the call and stopped the suspect, who was with another man, and he then tried to have a conversation with him. This built up quickly into a violent attack. Garda Horkin was trying to defend himself and called for backup immediately. During the attack, the perpetrator worked his way around the detective and stole his firearm from him, a six-hour semi-automatic handgun. Bullets then went flying, leaving Colum running for safety. The suspect chased him down while still shooting at him. Fifteen bullets were shot altogether. The suspect was shouting, you're not a Garda. Colum was wearing ordinary clothes and was in an unmarked Garda car at the time of this incident. After he said this, he fired at Detective Horkin at close range. 
and just moments after the shooting, a marked Garda car, also responding to the reports of the suspicious man, arrived at the harrowing scene. The killer was still standing over the detective, and within another few minutes, officers from the armed support unit arrived. An ambulance crew that was in the area at the time rushed to help, but Detective Horkin was declared dead at the scene. Castlery is stunned today. The County Roscommon town now the centre of an investigation into senseless violence. A fatal attack on a Garda, who was well known in the area. Colm Horkin recently became a detective. Just three weeks ago, he became a detective Garda. He began a shift here at Castlery Garda Station at four o'clock yesterday afternoon. It was a 12-hour shift. He was involved in general anti-crime work. He was armed with a Garda issue pistol. It was close to midnight when Colm Horkin was shot and killed during an altercation at the junction of Patrick Street and Main Street in the town. The facts as we, as we know them at this time are that this was in effect uh, a, a conversation between uh, uh, Detective Garda Horkin and a member of the public. There's then an altercation uh, during which then um, the service pistol that Garda Horgan was carrying is then used uh, uh, against him and, and he is shot and fatally, and fatally wounded. We know Colm Horkin's gun was fired 15 times. Detective Garda Horkin, 49 years old and with 24 years service as a Garda, most of that in the locality, was hit a number of times. He died at the scene. The country is shocked. The local community is reeling. We know that Colm Horkin stopped a man who was driving a motorbike through the town. A struggle ensued. Detective Garda Horkin called for backup during the struggle. The man now being questioned was arrested at the scene by two uniformed guardi who had quickly arrived. One journalist living locally was on the scene in the early hours. Some of the guardi here have been now for about 12 hours, so it's, it's a credit to, you know, their their hard work and dedication and it's a, I, can, I can't imagine what the entire community is going through. I know there was a lot of guard they brought in from other towns as well um, to help out but you know it's, it's, it's a huge devastating shock for the community here. This is not the first time Castle Ree has lost a Garda to gun violence. In 1980 four Gardaí responded to the aftermath of a bank robbery in Balahadreen. Two of them were shot dead. We went to intercept the car that, that had robbed the bank in Bellagreen. When we stopped it, uh, they crashed into us and uh, they fired on the car while we were in it. It is here at Loch Glen, 10 kilometres outside Castle Ree, that 40 years ago, two other Gardaí were shot dead in the line of duty. Garda Henry Byrne and Detective Garda John Morley had both been stationed at Castle Ree. They were shot dead here by paramilitaries. We were teenagers. It was devastating. It was the same feeling now today in Castlery, that eeriness, the silence is, is unbelievable. The circumstances of last night's fatal shooting are not gang-related. At this moment in time, there's no sense at all of a bigger picture, either organised crime or, subvers or subversive. So uh, what we have here um, is a, a random act, obviously a violent act, which has led to the death of, uh, of um, uh, Detective Gar Garda Horgan. Detective Garda Colum 
The second man, who was not involved in the attack itself, fled the scene, but he was later apprehended by the guards and provided them with a statement. The attacker was shortly arrested near the scene, also, and is described as a biker type and, quote, martial arts expert, who was doing push-ups in his cell in between guard interrogations. The man is named Stephen Silver, who is from a village not too far from Castlereagh. He is known to Gardy and was arrested on a number of incidences, including displaying violence, drugs and alcohol. He also has severe mental health issues. He was involved in a serious incident involving the brandishing of a sword in the 1990s, but this was supposedly dealt with under the Mental Health Act and not the courts. He was living in the UK for a time, coming back to Ireland recently. A full murder investigation as well as a Garda watchdog inquiry as a Garda firearm was discharged and an internal policing investigation to figure out the exact factors that led to the killing is to be determined later in the courts. Detective Garda Horkin is the 89th Garda to die in the line of duty since the force was founded in the 1920s. He served for 24 years altogether. He was a former Mayo under-21 and Charlestown Sarsfield footballer. He is sadly missed by all his family, friends and community. He was remembered for his love of the GAA as well for his dedication to his job and his generosity. In a statement, his club Charlestown Sarsfield said it had been left devastated by the untimely and tragic death of our friend and brother Colum Horkin. The statement also added, A very dark cloud hangs over Father O'Hara Park and our entire community today. A former teammate and friend Stephen Healy told the Irish Daily Mail, quote, If you had a friend like Cullum at your side, you wouldn't be lost for anything. He had your back. You could always depend on him. He went on to say he was a great man. I would have soldiered with him on the football field for 30 or 40 years since we were underage players in 1980. He was a top quality man on and off the game. To sum him up in three words, he was decent, generous and loyal to the core. Also, another close friend of Detective Colin Horkin has said he is, quote, is the fellow that you would bring into the trenches with you. John Casey, the former Mayo footballer, said he and Cullum grew up together in Charleston County, Mayo. Quote, the community are beyond devastated. The town is numb with pain, he said. He also said that Cullum was a great GAA man. He won a county minor title in 1988 and a county under 21 title in 1991 and also a county intermediate in 1993. He was a GAA fanatic, and when you are a GAA fanatic in a GAA community, you blend in very well, he said. He was respected by everyone who knew him, always turned out very well, and always looked pristine. Colum is the fellow you would bring into the trenches with you. He said the detective was very much respected as a member of the Angarda Shiokana. Later, in February 2021, the 44-year-old killer has been sent to trial to the Central Criminal Court, charged with the capital murder of the detective Garda last summer. Stephen Silver, who was from Foxford, County Mayo, appeared before the Castlereagh District Court where he was sent forward for trial after being presented with the book of evidence against him. 
He is now charged with the capital murder of Detective Gardner Colum Horkin. Silver has been in custody since June. The prosecutor and state solicitor for Roscommon, Kieran Madigan, told Judge James Faulkner this morning that he served Silver with the book of evidence in the presence of his solicitor shortly before the court began. He said that the previous murder charge was being struck out and that Silver was being sent forward for trial on the single charge of capital murder. An amendment was made to the wording of the charge adding knowing that or being reckless as to whether he knew that Horkin was a member of the Angardish Yokona acting in the course of his duty. Silver did not speak during the hearing and defence solicitor Garold Garrity said he had no questions. Free legal aid had been granted for Silver at a previous hearing. The judge then allocated the services for a senior counsel, junior counsel and solicitor and said that an application for further legal assistance could be made at a higher court. At the time when he was first arrested and remanded in custody, Silver appeared before a special sitting at Castlereagh District Court on 19th of June. He was deemed unfit to appear by video link at 11 sittings of Harristown District Court, which is located beside Castlereagh Prison since then. On each occasion, the court was told Silver was receiving treatment at the Central Mental Hospital. Silver was remanded in custody to the Midland Prison and will be tried by a jury at the next sitting of the Central Criminal Court, but a date has not yet been set for the trial. Thank you for listening to this episode of Incriminated. I'm your host, Francesca Hayes. You can find us on Instagram at incriminatedpod. Or you can find us on Twitter at incriminatedpo1. We are now on YouTube now and you can search it by Incriminated to Crime Podcast. Intro music is by Owen Leonard and other music is by Mivavi Editor Plus. All research links and accredited journalists will be linked down below in the episode details. For any requests you can also email at incriminatedpod.yahoo.com and I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. Enjoy the rest of your week and take care.